Well, it's good to see you today. Good to be back after weeks of vacation with our family. We had a good time getting to visit family in Kentucky and spent some time in Tennessee and at the beach. It was restful, enjoyable, and uh, got to spend some time with our grandson Liam, who's now three, and that was a lot of fun. We spent, actually, we spent uh, ten days at the beach, and if you read my blog, you know this, but uh, in the middle of the time at the beach, the girls decided we needed to spend a day shopping. And my job was to take care of Liam, entertain him. And so, you know, we hit all the shopping centers and the mall, you know, the big coastal mall down there. And, and, uh, and man, it took everything I had to, to, to entertain him all day while they were, they were shopping. I've not recovered from it yet. And um, near the end of the day, we were tired and hungry and meeting some friends from Kentucky for dinner at Buelos, that uh, Mexican restaurant in front of the Coastal Grand Mall. And we were, we were in the van, and as we were pulling off of 17 in the parking lot there at the mall to go to the restaurant, Liam, strapped in the back seat, just shouted out, no mall. He's al- he was already learning that if you, when you have women in your life, you're going to spend... A lot of time in malls and stores and stuff like that. But, uh, but we had a good time and appreciate your prayers. Appreciate the opportunity to be away and to rest and reconnect with uh, family. But it's good to be here today and starting a new sermon series. And for the next three weeks, we're going to look at what the Scripture says about the hope available to us as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, when the Bible talks about hope, it doesn't use that word the same way our culture does. When, when people say hope, they normally mean well, wishful thinking. I hope such and such happens. I wish, you know, I hope it happens. But in the Bible, the word hope is different. It's a very definite word. It, it means something that is not only promised, but it's a reality and it's guaranteed. The only reason it's called hope is because it's in the future. So it's a guaranteed promise yet to be experienced And the Bible says that's our hope. So we have a firm, fixed, definite hope of certain things in the future. We're going to talk about the hope that is ours because we are in Jesus Christ. But not everybody has that hope. Some of you recognize the name Christopher Hitchens who died about a year and a half ago from cancer. He was a fairly well-known atheist in America and in Europe, especially in, in Great Britain. Uh, an author, written hundreds of articles in numerous journals and magazines, written several books. He was popular on the debate circuit in, in North America and in Great Britain, debating other Christians and other people on various topics. And he, he was a socialist, a leftist, a radical in many ways, very outspoken, very critical. In fact, he could be very harsh in his comments about any religion, very harsh in what he said about other personalities, and he alienated a lot of people. He was so he was just so negative in what he would say about people, how how direct his, his candor was. Well, in the summer of 2010, in the middle of a speaking tour, he learned that he had esophageal cancer, and he died shortly before Christmas, a year and a half later. When he was in the hospital being treated for cancer, he wrote an article for Vanity Fair magazine. And I'd like to read you part of what he 
what he said. Listen, listen really carefully to his words. Here's what he wrote. He said, I am badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste. I had real plans for my next decade and felt I had worked hard enough to earn it. Will I really not live to see my children married, to watch the World Trade Center rise again? To the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the ply. Why not? Allow me to inform you, he wrote, that when you sit in a room with a set of other finalists, his way of describing other people who were dying with cancer, and kindly people bring a huge transparent bag of poison to plant into your arm, this chemotherapy treatment. He said this. He said, you feel swamped. You feel swamped with passivity and impotence. Dissolving into powerless, powerlessness like a, a sugar lump in water. And I thought about that image of sugar in water or coffee or tea dissolving. And that's his image of life. That I'm just going to fade away. I'm going to simply dissolve into that mass of matter that fills the universe and basically cease to be. And I was saddened when I read the sense of hopelessness in his words. He said, I, I feel this, this sense of, how do you describe it? A gnawing sense of waste. And the truth is, the Bible tells us that most people in our world today live without real hope. Without real hope for the future, without real hope for eternity, without real hope as they face death. And it's a sad way to live. They live like hitchens, so to speak. And at the same time, the Bible says that those of us who are in Christ who have placed our faith in Jesus, committed our lives to Him, and received Him as our Lord and Savior, when that happens, you are placed in Christ. That those of us who are in Christ is radically different for us. We have a guaranteed hope for the future. We have a guaranteed hope as we face our mortality. We have a guaranteed hope when the doctor says, Cancer. And we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at that difference and looking at the hope that is available to us when we are in Christ. So I invite you to open your Bible quickly to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at parts of verses 11 through 22 this morning, Ephesians chapter 2. In the context for this passage, Paul is writing the letter to the church in the city of Ephesus, which is made up predominantly of Christians of believers who before that were Gentiles. There are some Jews who had become Christians that were part of the church, but it was largely a Gentile believing church. And in chapter 2, he's describing for them the difference in their life before Jesus and after Jesus. To help them understand that difference, he uses 
the differences between Jews and Gentiles as an illustration. Since most of them were very familiar with Jewish people and, and their Christians, he said, to know that what is, how, how radically different it is now since you have Christ than it was before Christ, think back to all the distinctions between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And when you understand those distinctions, then you'll get a better sense of how radically different your life is now between being lost or without Jesus and being saved, being in Jesus. And so with that in mind, let's look at what he said. Stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read together, starting at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. He said, Therefore remember that formerly you the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. He said, most of you are Gentiles who are now believers, and circumcision is a Jewish rite, a Jewish act, religious act for them, and Gentiles didn't do that for the most part at that day and time, and that was a distinguishing feature of the two, two groups. He said in verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then the next verse begins with two of my favorite words, but now. Formerly you were that, but now in Christ Jesus, that qualifier is important. In Christ Jesus, you who were formerly for off have been brought near by the what? The blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing, making of no effect, literally in the Greek language, by abolishing, making of no effect, in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, the Old Testament law, made it of no effect, so that in himself... He might make the two, the Jews and the Gentiles, into one new man, one of a new kind, a new people, his people, Christian people, no matter your background, thus establishing peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile them both, Jews and Gentiles, in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near the Jews. Same message to both groups. For through him, through Jesus, we both, both groups, everybody have access in one spirit to the Father. Same access to God, same path to God for everyone. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints with the saints and are of God's household, God's family. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will take the truth of your word and speak to every heart and every mind in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, you'll notice in these verses, he says, formerly used to be this, but now because you are in Christ, it's this. So we're going to spend a few minutes and look at what he says about your life before Jesus and your life after Jesus. And remember that he illustrates it for them by saying, think about the differences that used to exist between the Jewish people and Gentile people. When you get that in your mind, you can understand the difference in your life now as a believer compared to your life before 
you were a follower of Jesus Christ. So before Christ, look at verse 12. One more time, verse 12. He says, remember that you at that time were separate from Christ. Separate from Christ. Christ is the English word for the Greek word Christos. Christos is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word for Messiah. And what he's saying is, remember before Jesus, you were a Gentile, And the Jews over here had the promise of the Messiah. They were expecting the Messiah. They were expecting the Savior. But as Gentiles, you weren't. You were not looking for the Messiah. You were not looking for the Christ. You were not expecting the Savior. You didn't even know you needed one. And the point is that for all of us, for those believers then and for all of us today, before Christ, most of us were not aware we needed a Savior. The truth is, now if you grew up in church, it might have been a little bit different. But most people in today's world, most people living in Rock Hill right now, they're not getting out of bed this morning saying to themselves, I need to find the Messiah. I need to find the the Savior. I, I need to find Jesus and make Him Lord of my life. Most people are getting out of bed this morning and they're not thinking about the Messiah. They're not thinking about Jesus. They're not thinking about God. Many of you grew up in a a Christian family. So maybe you were more conscious of it. Most kids today are not growing up in Christian families. They're not as conscious of it. Most adults, most young adults today, they're they're not thinking about it. They're unaware. They're unaware that they need a Savior. They're not looking for a Savior. That's the reason Jesus said to you and me, go instead of just wait for them to come. You and I today are living in, in a culture that is, that is more like the culture of the first century church than any time in our lifetime. And I want to say that because I don't think we should be afraid. I don't think we should be afraid because the culture is changing. Because the truth is, our culture looks more like it did in the first century. And God did an incredible work in the first century in the church, did He not? Didn't He see... Thousands and millions of people saved in the church mushroom and blossom. Listen, it's time for us to have faith in our God, faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and stop being afraid because everything is changing in this world. Just take the love of Christ, take the gospel of Jesus to people. They don't know they need it. They don't know they need him. That's why Jesus' his last words on this earth before going back to the Father in heaven was, Go, 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 go. And that's not simply going to another nation as an international missionary. That's going to your grandchild. That's going to your brother and sister. That's going to your next door neighbor. That's going to your co-worker. That's going to your friends. But go and let them know there is a Messiah. There is a Savior. Because they're separated from Him. They don't have Him in their life. And before Jesus was in your life, you were separated from Him. And you didn't have Him either. But he goes on in verse 12 to say not only that, but remember before Jesus, you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Think back, he says to those early believers, he said, before Christ, as Gentiles, you were not citizens of Israel. You were not part of the Old Testament family of God. And what the Bible teaches is that people who do not have Christ in their life are not in the family of God either today. 
we often hear people say, well, you know, we're all children of God, and I get that. I understand what people mean by that. I understand. I, I get that. I really do. But biblically, that's a misleading statement because biblically every human being is created by God. Every human being is loved by the Lord. Every human being is someone for whom Jesus died. Every human being is someone that we are to respect and honor and love. But you're not a part of God's family until you are spiritually born again in Christ and birthed spiritually into his family. You're not a child of God, he says, until you have Christ in your life and you are placed spiritually in Christ. And so you, you, you have a relative who is not in Jesus. What he's saying is they're not citizens of the family of God. They're not members of his family. They're not his children. Does he love them? Yes. Did Jesus die for them? Yes. Does he care about them? Yes. Is he trying to speak to them? Yes. Did he create them? Yes. Are they important to him? Yes. But are they in his family? No. You were not in the family of God until you were placed in Christ. You were not in the family of God until you gave your life to Jesus Christ, even if you grew up in church. And you've got to understand that that relative you're concerned about and that co-worker, that friend that's on your heart who doesn't know Christ, they are not in Christ. They are not in the family of God. They are separated from Christ and they are separated from the household, from the family of God. They are not children of God and they are not in the family of God, loved by the Lord and to be loved by us, but not yet children until they're born again by the Spirit of Christ. He goes on in verse 12 to say, remember, you you were strangers to the covenants of promise. As Gentiles, you were not aware of all the promises God had given to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And most people living in today's culture, they're not aware of the promises God is making available to them. They don't know that God is promising to give them peace, that God is promising to transform their heart and transform their life, that God is promising everlasting life, eternal life. God is promising heaven. God is promising a future. God is promising abundant life. God is promising His presence, that there there will not be a single moment in your life when God is not with you. They don't know that God is promising all of these things and so much more to everyone who is in Christ. And again, that's the reason you and I need to let them know that God's got all these beautiful, wonderful promises that He's making available to them. We want them to know about it. And then He says in verse 12, and this is where the title for this sermon series comes from. We'll look at a different passage each week that talks about having no hope. But in verse 12, He says, they, He said, before you were in Christ, you, you had no hope. Literally in the Greek is no hope of any kind. You had no hope, no hope beyond this life. He said before Christ, you were like Christopher Hitchens. And there are so many people out there. In fact, Jesus said it's you know broad and wide and easy and the, the way that most people travel and, and it doesn't lead to life, it leads to destruction because it's harder and it's more narrow and fewer people follow the path that leads to life. And so most people are living with no hope for the future. And even some who who talk about having some kind of hope is really a, a false hope and because it's a false hope it's no hope at all. And then he says in verse 12 without God. Without God 
in this world. The Gentiles in that time frame would often create idols, carve idols that they would worship. Well, people don't do that today for the most part. Some do, but most, most people in the world don't. But the truth is most people who don't know Christ do have idols they worship. Most people in Rock Hill have created in their own mind a God, a God that they worship. Most people today create a God that agrees with them on everything. Most people create a God who thinks like they think, who says what they want to say about everything, a God who always agrees with them. They, they say to themselves, well, I think God, and I want God, and I like this, and I don't like that about God, so they create their own God. Here's the problem. When you create your own God in your own imagination, that God is nothing more than a figment of your imagination because if God is real, He's God, and He is who He is. If you create them, it's nothing more than fiction. And so most people are without God. They need Him and on some level want Him, but they don't have Him. And you and I need to remember what it was like for us before Christ and what it is still like for everyone out there who is not in Jesus. And if there are people we're concerned about, we need to be doing something about it. I remember when I was a teenager, new Christian. My grandfather was 74 years old. One evening in the winter, sitting with him in his bedroom, I shared with him the gospel and led my 74-year-old grandfather in prayer to receive Christ and be saved. Two years later, I helped carry his body to its final resting place. Christopher Hitchens was in the middle of a popular speaking tour when he had a severe problem that put him in a hospital and revealed he had cancer, and it was pretty much hopeless. Life can be like that. And so you have children, you have siblings, you have parents, you have friends, you have cousins, you have co-workers, you have classmates. If they're not in Christ, they are separated from Christ, separated from the family of God, separated from the promises of God, have no hope, and are living without God. Now the good news, verse 13, but now... In Christ Jesus, he says, let me, let me remind you of how different, how radically different things are now for you that you are in Jesus and how radically different it can be for your friends and relatives and others who are now out of Christ, how radically different it can be for them when they are in Christ. All of those gaps are closed. Everything changes. Now, I'm going to show you real quickly three things that change. One, when you are in Christ after Jesus you become part, you become a member of God's family. He goes in this passage into some detail to explain that God no longer has two people, the Jewish people and the Gentile people. He now has one people. He talks in here in very specific terms and uh, in, in, uh, in uh, uh, verse 14 that Jesus is our peace 
And he made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall that separated the two groups. Verse 15, how did he do that? By abolishing, making of no effect in his flesh on the cross, the enmity, the thing that separated the two groups, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. The Old Testament law was what distinguished the Jews from the Gentiles. And on the cross, Jesus made that of no effect, meaning that you and I are not saved because we keep the law or a bunch of ordinances or a bunch of rules. Everyone is saved the same way through faith in Christ through the blood of Christ shed on the cross, whether Jew, Gentile, or anything else. And so rather than God having two ways and two peoples, he's got one way, one people, for he says in the end of verse 15 that he might make the two Jews and Gentiles into one new man. And the Greek word translated new there, there's two words for new in Greek language. One meaning new in time, the other meaning new in kind. This is the new in kind. God didn't just make one group like the other. He created a totally new group, a third group, a new group, his family, his people, the church, Christians, and whether you are of Jewish background, Gentile background, educated background, uneducated background, rich background, poor background, white background, black, yellow, pink, purple, blue, whether you like yourself, don't like yourself, everybody loves you, everybody hates you, it doesn't matter whether you're country or city five, whatever your background, whatever your past, when you come to Christ, you become a member of His one family. And we're all brothers and sisters in Christ when we're in Jesus Christ. Are you okay with that? Okay. Verse 16, he reconciled them both in one body to God to the cross. Having put to death the enmity, the law that separated the two. Verse 17, he preached peace to both groups, the same message to both groups. Verse 18, through him, we both, both groups have our access to, to in, in one spirit to the Father. That both, everybody has the same access to the Father. Everybody comes to the Father the same way. Jesus said it himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And N-O-O-N-E, no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus hanging on that cross changed everything. And he said just as he changed it between the Jews and Gentiles and got rid of all that separation and brought the two together in one new family, he said for you, you used to be lost, separated from Christ, not part of the family of God, but now you're in Christ and everything's changed and you've been brought near and now you're in the family of God. Verse 19 you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, God's household. Second, real quickly, you're no longer separated from God. He says, brought near by the blood of Christ. Peace, peace, peace. We have our access. You're no longer separated from, from, from Christ, no longer separated from God. And then finally, God lives in you. Because you are in Christ, God is in you. It happens simultaneously. God speaks to your heart and draws you to Jesus. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in your life. God comes into you. And spiritually speaking, you are placed in Christ. If, just, just imagine there's a circle. And I'm standing over here outside that circle before Christ. 
I'm separated from Christ. When I give my life to Christ, it's as though I step into that circle and I'm placed in Christ. I'm in Him and He is in me. And that is God's promise to you when you give your life to Jesus Christ. And that is a radical change from your reality before Jesus. Pastor Philip Griffin, some years ago, planted a new church in Texas. And in those early days, would use an indoor swimming pool to baptize people. And they were getting ready for baptism service and realized the water hose, the garden hose, had several leaks. So he decided to go buy a new one. As he was going to his car in the parking lot, a man who had recently started coming to their church named John stopped him and you know, kind of pulled into the parking lot, got out and said, Pastor, I, I, I need to talk to you. And in his mind, the pastor was thinking, I really need to get this done. You know how, how you, you're planning to do something and it gets interrupted. But he talked to him and they went into the pastor's office and sat down and started talking. And John said to the pastor, I, I need to know something. I need to know if you're real. The pastor had been preaching on God's love and how God doesn't necessarily love everything we do, all of our behavior, but God loves us and there's nothing we can ever do that will cause God to stop loving us. And, 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 and that's true. And so John said to the pastor, he said, I'm struggling with homosexual desires and behavior. I'm in and out of gay relationships. I understand what the Bible says, and, and, and I want to do what God wants me to do, but I'm losing this battle. And several months ago, John said he had gone to another church, but when he came clean with them about his struggles, they told him to never come back again. So John looked at the pastor and said, I want to know if you're real. They talked for a long while. And the pastor connected John with a ministry that helps people who are struggling with same-sex attractions. He uh, connected him with a small group of men in the church who, who in time embraced him. And God did a work in John's life. But before John left the pastor's office that day, he told the pastor that he had not planned to come and see him. He'd actually planned to commit suicide. And on his way, on his way, saw the church and just pulled into the parking lot. So the pastor asked John, well, did you have a specific plan for how you were going to commit suicide? And John said, yes. In fact, it was already in, it's already in progress. He said, earlier this morning, I went to the, to the hardware store and I bought some duct tape and a garden hose, a water hose. And I was going to go out into the country, into the woods, and I was going to tape that garden hose to my exhaust pipe, to my tailpipe. Place it in the window and let the exhaust kill me. Did you catch what God did? 
He gave the pastor a water hose. (laughs) Saved a man's life. And saved his soul. The difference. The difference for people who are in Christ compared to before. When it's real, man, the difference is real. That's what God's up to in in this world, my friends. That's, That's what God wants to do in the lives of some of you who are in this room and who are watching on television right now. God wants to take you from where you have been and where you are to someplace radically new and better. And brothers and sisters, God wants to use us. He wants to use me and He wants you to use you and helping people in this community know that it's possible for them to have a different future. Bring your children to Zout tonight. Bring your neighbor's kids to Zout, which is, for those who don't know, just our modern word for the modern way we do what some of you experience vacation Bible school has done differently. It's our version of it. They're going to hear about Jesus. Bring, bring, bring the kids. This November, we're participating in the Billy Graham My Hope Focus, where you are encouraged to invite some friends to your house and show a video that the Graham organization is producing that we'll make available to you. And after watching that video, give them an opportunity, if they want to, to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we're going to train you in how to do that. In fact, there's training that's mentioned in your program, in your bulletin that George told you to read uh, the second Sunday night in September. You can sign up on the back of your welcome card this morning to, to do the training. Doing the training doesn't commit you to do a home, but you probably will want to do it if you do the training. But sign up and come to the training and find out about it. Hope. It's a beautiful word. And it's what people need. If you need hope, I'm asking you to get out of your seat when we sing this next song and come to one of the pastors that's going to be here at the front and say, today, I, I need the hope of Jesus in my life. I, I want to be in Christ. I'm Steve, when you were talking about before Christ, you were talking about me. Yeah, I, I believe there's a God, but I know I'm separated from that God, and I'm, I'm not following Him. I'm not committed to Him, and I'm not in this family, but I want to be. I really want to be. I want to give my life to Jesus. And so we invite you to come. Some of you have done that, but you've not yet been baptized to publicly identify with Jesus. Come and request baptism. Others need to join this church. So let's stand and pray. And when I finish praying, we're going to say amen and, and, and sing. And as soon as we start singing, you come on. As soon as I say amen, you start walking. Come and let one of these pastors know your decision. Come and pray for somebody. Just get on your knees here at the front and pray for yourself. Pray for somebody that's on your heart. Father, all over this room, you have spoken to people's hearts and to their minds. There are people who need to make decisions and they're struggling with it. God, I pray that right now you would give them a win, that you would give them 
victory over their fear and anxiety over their struggle and help them by your spirit to obey you, to come and, and to make decisions and, and, and to do what deep in their heart they desire to do. So God, help us. Help us obey you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. You come.